Hi, this is Inez, and you're listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It's Sunday, July 30th, and this is your Sunday sermon. We're continuing in our series, Win the Day, which is based on that best-selling book by Pastor Mark Batterson. And during this series, we're unpacking seven habits that will help you stress less and accomplish more. Today is part four of the series, and it's called Fly the Kite. And our scripture reference, the main one, is Zechariah 4, verses 6 through 10. Now, I'm excited to share all about this with you today, but before I do, would you join me in an opening word of prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, to you be all honor and glory and majesty for this and all things. Lord, teach us from your word today in Jesus' name. Then everyone said, Amen. In the mid-18th century, the only way to cross the Niagara Gorge was by boat. On November 9, 1847, a civil engineer named Charles Ellett Jr. was commissioned to build a bridge across the chasm. It would be called the Niagara Falls Suspension Bridge, and it stood from 1855 to 1877 across the Niagara River. The question, of course, was when, where, and how do you get the first cable across an 825-foot chasm with 225-foot cliffs on both sides and rapids that rush toward a waterfall? Enter Theodore Graves Hullett, a local iron worker who suggested, get this, a cash prize for a kite-flying contest. No kidding. In January 1847, hundreds of kids tried flying kites across the gorge. A 15-year-old boy named Homan Walsh took the ferry from the American side to the Canadian side to take advantage of the prevailing winds. He flew his kite all day and all night. When his kite string broke, he had to wait eight days to cross back over by ferry. He retrieved the kite, made repairs, and crossed over again. On January 30, 1848, Walsh's kite made it across the gorge, winning him a $10 cash prize. The day after that flight, a stronger line was attached to that kite string and pulled across, and then an even stronger line was attached, then a rope, and then a cable consisting of 36 strands of 10-gauge wire. It would become the world's first working railway suspension bridge, strong enough to support a 170-ton locomotive. I don't think Charles Ella Jr. ever imagined the impact his bridge would have. I'm not sure that Holman Walsh ever cared, but their efforts enabled millions of people to cross between the two countries and it all started with a kite string. It always does, doesn't it? Let me shoot straight with you. I know people who say they'll give more when they make more. Listen, I love them, but I'm not buying what they're selling. If you aren't generous with a little time, talent, and treasure, you won't be generous with a lot. Generosity always starts right here, right now. I know people who say they'll serve more when they have more time. Yeah, that's not happening. You don't find time, friends. You make time. I know people who say they'll step up when the big opportunity presents itself. I beg to differ. No, you won't. Especially if you're not taking advantage of the small opportunities that are already around you. Here's the bottom line and the big idea. How you do anything is how you'll do everything. If you're faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with a lot. So go ahead and dream big. Dream so big that if God's not in it, you'll fail. But you can't just dream big. You have to do little things like they're big things, and that's what flying the kite is all about. A single kite string can eventually become a bridge that connects two countries. 
Our text for today is Zechariah 4, verses 6 through 10. Open your Bible or Bible app and let's take a read and see what's happening. Then he said to me, This is what the Lord said to Zerubbabel. It's not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain, will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, May God bless it! May God bless it! Then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple, and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Now let's go back to verse 6. Take a look at this. Zerubbabel is the leader of the remnant that returns to Judah from exile in Babylon, and they have a God-sized vision to rebuild the temple that Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed in 586 BC. Half a century later, as Zerubbabel looks at the ruins, the Lord says to him, It's not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Let me go first. Without the Holy Spirit, I'm below average. Anybody else? But God doesn't call the qualified, does he? He qualifies the called. And the good news is this. With the help of the Holy Spirit, you can do anything. Why? The Holy Spirit is the X factor. The Holy Spirit is the difference between the best you can do and the best God can do. The key part of that verse is the phrase, by my spirit. It's only through God's spirit that anything of lasting value is accomplished. The returning exiles were indeed weak, harassed by their enemies, tired, discouraged, and poor. But actually, they had God on their side. As you live for God, determined not to trust in your own strength and abilities. Instead, depend on God and work in the power of his spirit. Now take a look at verse 7. It says, Nothing, not even a mighty mountain, will stand in Zerubbabel's way. There comes a moment when you stop talking to God about your mountains and you start talking to the mountains about your God. That's one way to flip the script. You declare his power, his grace, his peace, his love, his glory, his goodness, and his healing. You don't deny the obstacle or the odds. You confront the brutal facts, but you do it with an unwavering faith. You exercise your authority as a child of God, as a follower of Christ, and as a citizen of this thing called the kingdom of God. Every prayer has to meet a twofold litmus test. It has to be in the will of God and for the glory of God. If it's not, it's a non-starter. If it is, look out. Now, I have no idea what mountain is staring you in the face right now, my friends. Maybe it's the mountain of anxiety or addiction or anger. Maybe it's the mountain of injustice or unforgiveness. Maybe it's the mountain of depression or frustration or fear. It might even be a mountain range. This is when and where I fall back on what I know for sure, that he is still the God who makes sidewalks through the sea. He is still the God who makes the sun stand still. He is the God who turns water into wine. And he is still the God who moves mountains. Now, if you're taking notes, jot this down. Testimony is prophecy. What does that mean? Actually, it's pretty simple. If God did it before, he can do it again. If God did it for me, he can do it for you. Why? Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Once again, verse 7 says, Nothing, not even a mighty mountain, will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. Now, interestingly, you have several habits right in this one passage. The first is you flip the script by speaking to that mountain. You play offense by exercising your authority. You declare the will of God, the glory of God. 
You've also got habit number two, kiss the wave. The obstacle is not the enemy. The obstacle is the way. You don't go around the mountain. By faith, God will get you to the other side and you'll be a bigger person, a better person because of it. You have the authority to move mountains. Who, me? How? With faith as small as a mustard seed, that's how. So how can something so small move something so big? It's habit number three, eat the frog. It's those high leverage habits that have a domino effect over your life. If you want God to do the super, you have to do the natural. Now let me drop down to verse 10 once again. This is where we fly the kite of faith. Verse 10 says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. At the time, many of the older Jews were disheartened when they realized this new temple would not match the size and splendor of the previous temple built during Solomon's reign. But bigger and more beautiful is not always better. According to verse 10, it's the little things that produce disproportionate celebration. The Israelites had not even broken ground on the temple yet. All they'd done was measure and God was already giving them a standing ovation. Our Heavenly Father celebrates the little steps of faith, the small acts of kindness. In fact, you can't give someone a drink of water without God noticing. God is great not just because nothing is too big. God is great because nothing is too small. He celebrates the small steps of faith, the small acts of kindness. What you do for God may seem small and insignificant at the time, but God rejoices in what is right, not necessarily in what is big. Be faithful in the small opportunities. Begin where you are and do what you can and leave the results to God. If we fly the kite, God will build the bridge. Sometimes we're easily overwhelmed by the size and scope of our goals and dreams, right? That's why 70% of New Year's resolutions fail within the first month. Do you know that 83% of people want to write a book? But very few do, really. Why? Well, you cannot finish what you don't start. It doesn't matter whether it's writing a book, running a marathon, getting a graduate degree, or starting a Bible study. You've got to reverse engineer your goals and turn them into daily habits, and then you can fly the kite like Holman Walsh. Let me make this as simple as one, two, three. Here are three keys to flying the kite. Number one, give yourself a start date. Number two, go ahead and dream big, but start small. And number three, if you want every day to count, count the days. Let's break this down a little bit more. The first key is give yourself a start date. One evening in May 2005, we were at the home of our friends in Floresville, Texas. That night, God blessed me with my first original song. It came from Psalm 138. It's called, I Will Praise You, Lord. It was an incredible evening as he used our friend's son to create the music and then pointed me to his word in Psalm 138. Barely 90 minutes later, the words were written and we were literally singing a new song. Not long after that, more songs came, 14 in all. I didn't really know what to do with them. I'm a vocalist, not a songwriter, and I certainly didn't know what to do with this at this point. But I did have a distinct feeling that I credit to the Lord that I was supposed to record these songs. Again, how was I supposed to do that? Who was I to go to? The task seemed too big to even consider, and months went by when I was just paralyzed by the fear of moving forward. In December of that year, the Lord opened an incredible door for me to actually begin recording these songs with two amazing godly men who worked in the Carrollton area near Dallas. We first talked via the phone about the idea of me recording these songs, but I was still unsure. I was afraid to take the first step. Of course, I'd been praying, but as I came to see later, God was waiting for me to take the first step toward him in faith. 
As the saying goes, if the Lord brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. Amen. Finally, after many months of indecision, I set a deadline to begin this journey, and so in January of 2006, my son David and I drove to Carrollton, Texas, and we began our first recording session. Folks, a dream without a deadline is dead on arrival. Some of you have been dreaming of this and that and the other thing for years. You can't finish what you don't start. I talk with people who are songwriters a lot. I always ask this question, do you feel like it's something God is calling you to do? If it's not, it's going to be really hard. If it is, delayed obedience is disobedience. And that was me, folks. I was disobedient because I was afraid. You've got to give yourself a deadline, but I'll back it up one more step. You've got to give yourself a start date. Now, let me get rid of a few of the most common excuses of why we don't get started. And I'm in all three of these, I'm going to tell you right up front. One, I'm not qualified. I don't have enough education. I don't have enough experience. Well, who does? God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He wants to use your strong hand, no doubt. But God also uses our weak hand. His power is made perfect in our weakness. Number two, I'm not ready. I wasn't ready to get married. We weren't ready to have kids. I wasn't ready to pastor a church. I'm not ready to record these songs, so forth and so on. Newsflash, if you wait until you're ready, you'll be waiting the rest of your life. If God gives you a green light, it's time to go. And number three, I'm waiting for the right situation. George Bernard Shaw once said, people are always blaming their circumstances for what they are. I don't believe in circumstances, he said. The people who get on in this world are the people who get up and look for the circumstances they want, and if they can't find them, make them. It is what it is, folks. You can complain about the situation you find yourself in, or you can make the most of it. You'll never really find the perfect situation, my friends. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 11.4, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. So what do we do? We fly the kite, that's what we do. Or as Solomon said just a few verses earlier in Ecclesiastes 11.1, 1, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. The second key to flying the kite is go ahead and dream big. So how do you move forward and dream big? You've got to reverse engineer those life goals and turn them into daily habits. It all comes back to this. You need an uncompromising commitment to continual improvement. It's little by little. It will pay compound interest. All of that to say this, go ahead and dream big, but you've got to start small. You have to find a way to fly the kite a little higher every day. If you do that, some impossibly high mountains will become level plains. The ceiling becomes the floor and you can go after even bigger dreams. You have to start small, but you also have to think long. It's awfully easy to get discouraged when you're going after a God-sized goal. That's why so many commitments fail short after starting. Sometimes it feels like our goals are getting further and further away. Honestly, we all want to throw in the towel on our goals at one point or another. But it's in moments like that that you need to remember the future. What does that mean? It means you can't lose faith in the end of the story. You have to remind yourself of what you're doing and why you're doing it. It's like the parable of the three bricklayers. I have no idea if this is allegory or an actual story. But after the fire of 1666 that leveled most of London, Christopher Wren was commissioned to rebuild St. Paul's Cathedral. One day in 1671, Wren was observing three bricklayers on the same scaffold. He asked them what they were doing. The first bricklayer said, I'm laying bricks. The second bricklayer said, I'm building a wall. 
The third bricklayer said, I'm building a cathedral to the glory of God. They were all doing the same task, but for different reasons. The Apostle Paul said in Colossians 3.23, Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord. When you forget the future, you trade your birthright for a bowl of soup like Esau. You forfeit your future because you aren't thinking long. In everything we do, we've got to be thinking about the third and fourth generations. And the third key to flying the kite is, if you want every day to count, count the days. Okay, who knows how many days they have held their current job? Anyone? I'll tell you who. Someone who's making the most of those days, that's who. If you want every day to count, count the days. If you don't count the days, you're discounting them. That's not just a play on words. It's an approach to life that lives each day like it's the first day and the last day of your life. This series started with a question, can you do it for a day? Anybody can do anything for a day. Then you've got to get up and do it all over again the next day. And if you do it two days in a row, I think it's called a winning streak. That's what flying the kite is all about. I don't care if it's a marathon training plan or a daily Bible reading plan. Failing to plan is planning to fail. You have to count days just like you count calories. If you give yourself a start date, if you start small and think long, and if you count the days, God will multiply your efforts. Another way of saying this is, if you want to break records, you need to keep records. You've got to measure what matters. If it's not measurable, it's not manageable. Part of counting the days is celebrating your progress. You have to celebrate what you want to see more of. You have to mark the milestones and celebrate the winning streaks. I don't have time to talk about this more today, but you have to praise God even for partial miracles. That may be a word for some of you today. Let me close with this. Look at what the Lord has done. In the words of the prophet Zechariah, do not despise these small beginnings. We think right here, right now, God is thinking nations and generations. We think what God has done is for us, but it's always for the third and fourth generation. We overestimate what we can do in a year, but we underestimate what God can do in five, 10, or even 25. Now, I'm not sure what goal you're going after, what problem you're trying to solve, what habit you're trying to break or build, but you have to fly the kite. How? You have to give yourself a start date. You can't finish what you don't start. You dream big, but you start small and you think long, long obedience in the same direction. And if you want every day to count, you count the days. There are decades when nothing happens, and then there are months when decades happen. What kite do you need to fly today, beloved? What are you waiting for? It's time to win the day. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.